Hello, everybody. Wednesday night. Seven o'clock on the dot. And here we are on the 21st day of September 2022. Uh, I'm not going nuts. There are some years where September 21st is the fall equinox. It's just not this year. I think it has to do with the uh, rotation of the Earth. The 0.25 days thing. The reason why we have leap years, I believe. Anyway, it's Anthony's birthday. That's one thing that always happens on the 21st of every year. So, happy birthday to all you September babies. I know there's a lot of you because a lot of people get busy on New Year's Eve. Anywho, here we are. Here we are in New York, and we've got a great show ahead of us tonight. A really, really slam dunk show. I spoke a little bit with G. Edward Griffin prior to our broadcast tonight so that I know everything is all right, but I would love to just put out there that he is coming to us from a remote location. He has a satellite uplink for his uh, internet, and his video might get a little choppy. So I have a headshot that's ready to go. But as long as we have some audio, that there might be a little bit of talking over each other. Just, you know, it's it's all about data transfer tonight. Just be very patient because this is a top flight host, uh, top flight flight guest, top flight uh, opportunity for a host. But um, really excited. So I hope you are too. That's really what we're talking about. That, a little bit on Russia because now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. We'll do that in just a second. Uh, and then we'll... I want to even ask um, G. Edward Griffin about that. Mr. Griffin, we'll ask him. But I'm, I'm glad that you're here with me tonight. I think we've got everybody on board for the experience. I'm just going to let it roll on YouTube, though there might be a chance it gets deleted shortly afterwards. Uh, hope you're well. I hope you're well. I hope you stay well. All right. So with that being said, ladies and gents, let's just get on into something that I would say needs to be addressed immediately. This is our our grab bag, but there's only one, <clears throat> only one topic, and that is Russia. Here is from Zero Hedge. Welcome to the show. It's quite frankly the pre-show. Putin announces partial mobilization in Ukraine war escalation, says West wants to destroy Russia, and he would not be lying. Remember, I don't have a particular personal affection for Russian interests, but I hate NATO. It is a, uh, I don't know, it's, it's counterintuitive. It is an aggressive force. It is not a defensive force. And now this this is the door that we're knocking on now. We're at the threshold, ladies and gentlemen. In a nationwide address that was re- delayed from its primetime Tuesday delivery and ahead of votes in four Ukraine regions to join Russia, on Wednesday morning, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced a partial military mobilization while vowing to use all means necessary to defend Russia and pledge to annex the uh, territories already occupied by Russia raising the stakes in the seven-month-old conflict. Calling the moves urgent, necessary steps to defend the sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity of Russia, Putin said that Russia is fighting the full might of NATO. The U.S. and its allies, he said, are seeking to destroy Russia. The partial mobilization means that reservists will be drafted into military service, 
Putin said, starting immediately. The armed forces will draw on military reservists only and those who have completed national service. The president said promising that, uh, that they will be provided with additional training along with all the benefits due to people uh, involved in active duty. The measure is sensible and necessary under the circumstances, Putin, Putin stated, adding that he has already signed on an uh, order for the call-up to start immediately. In his speech, Putin accused Kiev of backing away from peace talks, acting on direct orders from its Western allies. Instead of negotiating, the Ukrainian government has beefed up its military with NATO-trained troops, many of whom are neo-Nazi extremists, he said. Putin also accused the West of using nuclear blackmail against Russia, noting that if its territorial integrity is threatened, Russia will definitely use all means at its disposal to defend Russian territory. This is not a bluff. The full quote says, even nuclear blackmail has come into play. We are not talking only about the shelling of the nuclear power plant encouraged by the West, which threatens to unleash a nuclear catastrophe, but also on statements of the possibility of using nuclear weapons of mass destruction on Russia. If the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will, without question, use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff, and those who try to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the prevailing winds can blow in their direction. Hey, we, we, uh, we saw this is where we were getting pushed, forcibly pushed for, for months. Here's a little something from from Gateway Pundit by Larry Johnson. It's called Game Changer in Ukraine Referenda. So this is what's happened here and explains a little bit more about that major loss of land that Russia suffered at the hands of Ukraine last weekend. Uh, this all makes a lot more sense. We are getting some insights into Russia's activities over the last three weeks and it now appears that the withdrawal slash retreat from the Kharkov from Kharkov was part of a broader plan that is going to culminate in the referenda by the oblasts of Luhansk, Donetsk, uh, Zaporizhia, and Kurzon, starting this Friday. This is not some last-minute desperate stunt. It flows logically from Russia's attempt to use special military operation as leverage to compel serious negotiations on the futures and independence of Donetsk and Luhansk. There are some great commentary that we're not going to listen to. Uh, this referenda... The referenda are a part of a dance with Russian law. Russian's Duma has met and passed legislation that will govern new, how new territories, along with their citizens, are admitted into the Russian Republic. I must emphasize that the decision to hold the referenda this week was made at some weeks ago. Ukraine's continued shelling of civilians in the Donbass made this move an imperative. Made it an imperative. Uh, let's see here. Hold on a second. One moment, ladies and gents. I just wanted to get that all the way. Good. Has made it imperative. Once the votes are completed and the results announced, next move will be Russian, i.e. welcoming the former Ukrainian oblasts into Russian Republic. Once they're admitted, so once all of these these eastern parts of Ukraine that are mostly ethnic Russian that were... That were uh, that were crying foul, crying war crimes for the last eight, eight years of shelling and all the civilians and children that were killed from the, the NATO slash CIA puppet government that was, uh, that was brutalizing people out there. Once they all officially vote to become part of Russia, then they will 
officially don the cloak of Russian of uh, state state military protection. Okay, so once they're admitted, any further attack by Ukraine on those territories will be an act of war against Russia. Putin has made it very clear that he will act against any nation waging war against Russia and its citizens. This move is putting the United States and NATO on notice. If they continue to enable Ukrainian attacks on Russian citizens, that they will be targeted in response. We are crossing a threshold that could escalate into World War III. Maybe at least overtly. Uh, we've been in World War III for a long time now. I am certain that Vladimir Putin is not playing games. He is not Joe Biden. He does not speak foolishly off the cuff, nor does he make idle threats. From the Russian perspective, Russia's very existence is at stake. This should sober the West up, but that is unlikely. France's Macron was first out of the gate today, issuing empty threats against Russia. Biden's White House was close behind. Howls of outrage. But Russia no longer cares. It has watched the West play the, uh, uh, play the mute during the last eight years while the democratically elected president of Ukraine was forced from office with the active backing of UK and US officials and while Ukraine subsequently killed thousands of men, women, and children in the Donbass regions. The West was quite clear it did not care. Washington and NATO have shot their wad and have no credible conventional military force to counter Russia accepting the uh, results of the referenda. Their only alternative beyond throwing a tantrum is to threaten the use of nuclear weapons. Despite the potential peril of this moment, I am amused by the irony of the United States, the United Kingdom, and France feigning moral outrage over the Russians' over the Russians' willingness to accept the results of the votes by citizens of Donetsk, Luhansk, and Zaporizhia, and Kurzhan. Did the United States hold a referendum when it took Hawaii and Mexican territory? Did the, uh, the United Kingdom allow the American colonies a referendum when they wanted their independence? Hell. Go down the list of British colonies that were taken by force without the natives of those countries being given a chance to vote to join the UK. Ditto for France. I don't recall them holding an election when they took over Vietnam. It was only when the North Vietnamese held a vote at Dien Bien Phu that France, uh, that, uh, that France decided to accept the will of the people. Unlike the United States and the former global colonial powers, Russia is letting the people in the besieged Ukrainian oblasts decide. We are living through consequential history. This is a true game changer. One final point, if China backs Russia on this move, it is likely that Russia has, prov uh, has provided China with guarantees that Moscow will support Beijing when it moves against Taiwan. We shall see. It's just... So messed up, my friends. So messed up. So messed up. Now, where does it go? How does it end? The Pope thinks it's madness. Pope, madness to think of using nukes, says the Pope. Putin says he will not bluff on using all means amid reversals. Well, too bad. Hey, I don't want it either. I live about 30 miles outside of Manhattan. So it's uh, not necessarily like I'm safe. And I would have to imagine New York is a major East Coast destination for a nuke if this thing really pops off in a true major way. So it's not like I'm, I'm in some fortress here. Uh, but again, objectively speaking, we saw this thing build up, build up, 
things being ignored, origin stories ignored, ignored, just plastered over with propaganda. And here we have it. But you know what? Most people don't even give a shit about this. You know why? Because the same people who are pushing us to the brink of a forced nuclear engagement in Eastern Europe, uh, they're, uh, they're also launching a brand new, sparkling, brand new lawsuit against Donald Trump. New York sues Donald Trump, his company. Widespread fraud claims, seeks at least $250 million in penalties. This is it. We are, we, we really do deserve, we really do deserve all of the pain that we, that we're feeling right now. We deserve it. Not, when you, when you look at this, oh my gosh, one thing after another. Anyway, keeping that in mind, let's start the show off. I want to get one other thing about this, uh, this digital dollar on the record before we talk to, before we talk to, uh, Mr. Griffin. So don't go anywhere. It's time to kick it off for real. BRB. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Lots of money. Like some other men do. Julie London. Get out of here and get One of the best. One of the most underrated. Julie London. One of Julie's sons actually watches this show. At least he did. I haven't heard from him in a while. Hope Lank is doing well. Julie London. Why don't you do right? Had plenty of money in 1941 and 1922 and... In 1843, there's always money here. Wasn't in my pocket. But who knows how rich the future is going to be because a new new scheme is about to be unleashed on us. I want to read something for the record before we get into a call with a, uh, a big-time truth movement legend. We got to do it. Here is from Kanakoa the Great's newsletter on Substack. Would love to have Kanakoa on for a show. Everybody besiege him on Truth, Truth Social and elsewhere and say, hey, quite frankly, uh, shouted you out tonight. Central bank digital currencies are the bullet train to digital concentration camps. This is the guy that we're talking about tonight. He's the guy to talk to. 
The White House published a comprehensive framework on Friday attacking decentralized cryptocurrencies while promoting a U.S. government-controlled programmable central bank digital currency. That's CBDC. Per an official press release, agencies that were chosen to lead the ongoing working group for the research and possible development of CBDC including the Federal Reserve, the National Economic Council, the National Security Council, the Office of Science, Technology, Policy, and the Treasury Department. Everything but the Treasury needs to go. It's not, it's not, they're not, they're not uh, legal. CBDCs are digital currency issued directly from a nation's state central bank and serve as a legal tender. Critically, the CBDCs are controlled by governments and therefore represent the polar opposite of the idea of decentralization, open source software, permissionlessness, uh, peer-to-peer transactions, all those ideas that made Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies such a revolutionary technology. As you can guess, CBDCs will be tied to user identities and digital IDs, which will be allowed for total surveillance by the state, eliminate any chance of financial privacy, and also, it'll be a huge tool of censorship. Huge tool. Your digital IDs, your vaccine passports, we've already seen this kind of thing happen. People are restricted from... Uh, getting medical attention, reaching, uh, reaching some levels of their own banking because of their lack of being updated with one shot or another. According to the Atlantic Council's central bank digital currency tracker, 112 countries representing over 95% of the global GDP are exploring a central bank digital currency right now. 11 countries have already launched the digital currency, including Nigeria and numerous Caribbean nations. 14 countries are testing pilot programs, including South Korea, Thailand, Saudi Arabia, Sweden, and China, which is set to expand its use of the digital yuan in 2023. Anthony Pompliano, an American entrepreneur, investor, and Bitcoin evangelist, wrote last March that, quote, central bank digital currencies will be one of the greatest violations of human rights in history. Central bank digital currencies remove the privacy and decentralized nature of physical cash. It creates an environment where central banks have complete control over every aspect of a citizen's financial life. These bankers will be able to see what is in your bank account, who you transact with, what you purchase, and anything else that they are curious about in your financial life, he wrote. That full transparency with the state removes all elements of privacy while also giving the institutions the ability to censor any and all transactions regardless of whether they have legitimate reason or not. Pompliano's comments mirror those made by President of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, Neil Kashari, Kashkari, who speaking at a panel hosted at Columbia University said that he had no idea what problems centralized digital currencies solved for American citizens. Quote, what is, uh, what is it that a CBDC can do that Venmo cannot? Kashkari asked. Well, I can see why China would do it. If they want to monitor every one of your transactions, impose negative interest rates, or directly tax customer accounts, you can do that with a central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. Robert Kiyosaka, the author of a personal finance book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, had scathing criticism for the idea introducing CBDCs. 
Kiyosaka referred to the executive order 14067 signed by the Biden White House in early March of this year that established the government's position on creating a CBDC as the most treasonous act in U.S. history in a tweet that he posted on July 17th. I guess that more treasonous than 1913. In addition, Kiyosaka went as far as to declare the establishment of CBDCs to be communism in its purest form. Imagine these scenarios. You spoke up against children, masking children at your, uh, at your child's school board meeting, purchase denied. You exceeded your vehicle's weekly miles and surpassed your carbon limit, purchase denied. You posted private messages on Facebook questioning the integrity of the last election, purchase denied. You did not take your latest Pfizer or mRNA gene therapy shot, purchase denied. You can say, well, that's okay. I'll go liquid. I'll take all my cash out of the bank. Well, obviously there's going to be a phase out where the cash won't be there anymore. And then we're going to be phasing from cards and little digital uh, wands and, and, um, and amulets into microchips. This is their plan. We may not go along with it, But the demons are willing to wait it out until they find generations who are, which is why we need to wake up many, many youth, many in the youth. This is what it's all about. Catherine Austin Fitz said in a recent interview, all this clean energy is designed to do is produce an electrical system which will allow them to build an all digital transaction system that will give them digital control. As I said last night when we were talking about the ability to redistribute wealth through the idea of reparations or universal basic income, it does not improve the lives of people who have these systems foisted upon them. It improves the lives of those who are creating the systems and can grant themselves arbitrary authority to control everything, including everybody's share and how they use their share. So that's where we are right now. And as far as our, uh, our esteemed guest of the evening, let's talk a little bit about George Edward Griffin. Born in 1931, he's going to be 91 years old on November 7th. He's an American author, uh, filmmaker, public speaker, and if you ask Wikipedia, a conspiracy theorist. Very dangerous to be one of those. He's written scores of books and documentaries on the American medical in- industry, the communist takeover, the Federal Reserve, and too much more to list after that. This is all work that spans a whopping 60-plus years. 60 years. And here's a quote for you. One asked about him being, a, him being a, called a conspiracy theorist. This is from G. Edward Griffin himself. Well, I'm clearly not a conspiracy theorist. When people take that position, I have to laugh because I feel sorry for them. They've obviously never read a history book because anyone who knows anything about history knows that it's built on conspiracies from one end to the other. Conspiracy is the engine of history. Every major event in history, when you examine it, has come to pass largely as a result of at least one or, in many cases, many conspiracies. In 2017, let me get this all ready to go. In 2017, Mr. Griffin created a now yearly Red Pill Expo. We're going to talk to him about the Red Pill Expo later on in the in the uh, discussion because I I wish I can go to the one this year that's in Utah. We'll get to that in a little bit, but uh, that'll be later on because I cannot wait to bring in the man himself, G. Edward Griffin. How are you doing tonight, sir? Well, I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me. 
Oh, well, thank you for accepting the invitation. I, I've tried uh, periodically over the years, and it's so great to finally have you here, and you're still doing such amazing work. So uh, thank you for all that. And I cannot wait to talk about the Red Pill Expo later on. Well, yeah, we have a lot to say about that. Yes, no, plenty, plenty. And But, you know, before we get into a lot, because there's some retrospective I want to do with you, I definitely want to ask you two current events questions. Two topics I just did prior to calling you. The first one is this. It's a central banking question. Now, um, uh, you've done so much work over your career, but one of the things that you're best known for is explaining to now many generations of Americans the true nature of the Federal Reserve. And whereas not very many of us were around to remember 1913 at this point, here we are in 2022, and we have a front row seat to the next big swindle, and that is the executive by order the executive fiat ordered research and development of a central bank digital currency in your estimation how would a digital economy operate especially with the fed still controlling it all well it would operate in a way that uh, nobody on the planet could anticipate on the basis of their previous experience because it's something entirely new the economy will be changed completely. Oh, I should say perhaps the monetary system will be changed completely. The economy will continue to deteriorate and it'll be uh, our, the elitists and who are privileged in all of this. So having said that, what does that mean in particular? Well, the money will change. We're all used to having money as a kind of a thing you can stick in your pocket you can say, oh, I got a few bucks in my pocket. Well, I have saved up a few hundred dollars and I can afford to fix my car. Oh, I got a couple of thousand dollars in the bank. Maybe I can paint the house this year, you know? We're used to dealing with money as something tangible that we can look at, we can count it and say, well, I've got this set aside. I've been frugal and so uh, I don't have to worry. I have all my emergencies taken care of. Well, that's all gonna go out the window. If we get this digital bank currency, uh, digital, digital currency that you're talking about, because um, it's not so much that it's digital, it's the fact that it's not ours. Hmm. The money that we have now is ours, we think anyway, unless it's in the bank. <laughs> and they think it's theirs because they can pretty well take it anytime they want to. But anyway, it, we can take it out of the bank. We can put it into uh, tangible assets. We can stick it in the mattress or in the coffee can. And so it's ours. But in the future, when it's digital currency, uh, it'll be different because although most of our currency is digital today, you think about it, it's that we've got uh, credit card money. Very seldom do we see that money at all. It's just the numbers in our account. Uh, but we can theoretically exchange it for US dollars, paper bills and coins and things like that. But when we can no longer exchange it for anything, and then we, we can't even save it uh, because there will be rules and regulations as to uh, how many of these units we'll be able to save, depending on our rank in society. There'll be rules and regulations we'll be able to save anything or have any money at all uh, just currently uh, to buy food and shelter and clothing and things like that. Mm. So it's in the classic sense, the coming of what we hope will not be coming, but what the elitists are, are planning on coming, the, the coming currency will be different in that it will be current, it'll be digital, of course, 
but it'll be owned by the banks and everybody will be honest about it and it'll, it'll be a sort of a public-private partnership between the banks and the government because if the government wants some of your money maybe they think you've got too much of it or they don't like you and you've been a bad boy or a bad girl and they want to punish you with a fine or tax or something uh, you don't have to pay that fine or that tax they just take it mm. <laughs> comes right out of your account it's not your money you see so uh, it's a, an incredibly new concept it's made possible only with the the digital currencies that they're talking about, the blockchain technology and similar things. But it's, it's it'll be hell on earth because it'll be the end of personal sovereignty, the end of personal independence, the end of personal liberty, the end of privacy, the end of everything that we hold dear, the end of being able to uh, go to our home and say, this is mine. I worked all my life, I, I saved my money and uh, now I have something, a little nest egg, and I can retire, and I can travel, or I can just stay at home and sit on the front porch in my rocking chair, or whatever I want to do. All that will be gone, because from here on out, if they succeed in that, they will monitor every behavior, and if it isn't exactly to their uh, liking, if they think you should behave in any other way, you will be punished by their taking away of these tokens, these digital bank currency tokens, that will still be called money, and you won't be able to buy anything. You'll be out in the street, uh, sitting on the sidewalk with a with a cup in your hand. Well, not even that, because there'd be no coins. There'd be no coins. I was going to say, what are they going to throw in the cup? Yeah. <laughs> right, nothing in the cup. So it'll be uh, something quite different than anything we've seen before in history, and you won't like it. Right. Uh, now, I guess this will this would go into the next question there too, because I I, I often wonder when I think of all that, I, I consider being destined to be attached to social credit scores, passport systems. We already see how uh, people's access to uh, medicine and all that has been attached to their social credit scores and their vaccine status in places like Europe. So I started thinking to myself, I mean, how do we survive that here? Even if we're stacking silver, I mean, w what do you do? And, and the only legal tender at that point is going to be something that is can only be accessed through a microchip or some kind of a uh, a microchip card but then i started thinking about a little bit more that we see on a global level of people who are trying to get away from this uh you know abandoning the dollar namely the new BRICS currency that's being talked about backed by gold and other commodities with you know russia and china and all that do you think that that will work ultimately well, I don't think any of it will work to our satisfaction. It may work to the satisfaction of the international banking fraternity. Um, when they say it'll be backed by gold or silver, uh, they're lying. Don't don't ever believe anything they say. It may be backed in some fictitious way, and they could sh show you a, a white shark drawing of how it's backed by gold or silver or central drawing rights or something, but it's all fictitious. Uh, there'll be no gold or silver that you can get hold of. Maybe the banks will be able to use gold or silver to to exchange deposits and participate in that. It's a big mistake. So they're lying to you. It's just part of getting you happy. Uh, you see, part of the thing that's going on right now, in my view, is that they're quit playing. They've quit playing games that they want to bring in this currency we're talking about. And in order to do that, they have to make the people happy about it. 
I mean, that's the name of the modern ruling uh, game, uh, how to rule people totally and viciously, tyrannically, and let them feel good about it, make them happy about it. Say, oh, that's really nice, thank you. And the way they do that, of course, is uh, they scare people to death. Hmm. And uh, then they say, well, this is the solution to the problem that we created. And they say, oh, well, thank you. And you're going to protect me now. So what they're doing is they're, they're going for broke, and they're deliberately attempting to make the dollar and all of the other major currencies in the world pieces of toilet paper where it won't buy anything. Everybody will recognize that the money is gone unless you've got some, some ter terrific hoard in assets such as gold or silver or, or a warehouse full of tires or another warehouse full of cheap white wine or something like that uh, that you can exchange almost on a barter system. But for most people, that's out of the question. So when their money doesn't buy anything anymore and uh, you've got to pay, you know, like they did in the Weimar Republic, uh, many, many moons ago when the, uh, the German Deutschmark went uh, into the tank and people would go to the grocery store with a wheelbarrow, literally a wheelbarrow full of uh, a currency just to do the, the daily grocery shopping. And, um, it, you know, you could just, people had saved up a lot of money and they put it into an insurance policy for retirement and it would normally be ample, the equivalent of maybe a million dollars in U.S. purchasing power today. Oh, man, we're, we're in good shape. We've got a million dollars in retirement insurance. But when they go to spend it, the postage stamp, in order to send in your claim and request your check, would cost as much as you would get in the check. Hmm. So that's, it's just wiped out. And uh, people were using uh, paper currency to to burn in their fireplace and in their stoves because at least it had some value as kindling would, but none in terms of money. So they're they're going for that here now. They're expanding the money supply insanely. I mean, there's been more expansion since the last two years than there's been in the total history of our money supply. Now, don't get me to the fine point on that, but it's within a few hundred thousand or a few million dollars. It's just incredible, uh, the expansion, and it's still going on. And um, now, the full effect of that is inflation. And we haven't seen that yet. It's just beginning to show up now in the grocery stores and elsewhere. I mean, it, try and send your kid to college now uh, without having to spend 50 or 60 or $70,000 a year. And uh, you realize that, hey, this money system is really falling apart. And so when it falls apart and people can't buy anything with their life savings, they're going to be delighted. Oh, you've got a new currency for us. Oh, wonderful. It's a solution to the problem. So it's the same old game. They're deliberately now trying to create a monetary problem to scare the wits out of everybody so that when they come along with the big solution, which is this digital currency for the banking system, um, digital uh, banking currency, why uh, people will be stupid enough to say, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you very much for fixing it. And they don't realize that it's the same people that broke the system or who are now breaking the system who will be offering this new system and who will benefit from it. Um, th there is there's so much you said right there that I'd love to, to, to uh, pack into a, my next question. You were talking about how people are getting the wits scared out of them. Um, not only just because of the, the kind of spending that we saw. Well, I mean, the, the spending has always been 
really, really bad. But ever since the, the virus showed up in 2020, we're talking about trillions upon trillions extra. The average continuing resolution in Congress, which are all uh, illegal anyway, if you ask me, the, the average uh, spending packages that we're seeing now are one to two trillion dollars in size. We used to have our breath taken away with when we heard 500 billion years ago. But still, we have this... Um, we have this situation brewing for us now where it's not just spending, it's also the threat of war. And I guess I would like to, to put my second current events uh, question to you right now, and that is seven months of blistering propaganda about what's going on with Russia, NATO, Ukraine, and, uh, and, and now we're, we're knocking on... Uh, the, a nuclear flashpoint's front door. How do you see this all playing out? Because obviously nobody wants to be incinerated, but the world is run by psychopaths, so I just never know. Well, that's true. I think any opinion that I might offer on that should be prefaced with uh, what you just said. The world is being run by psychopaths, and we just don't know what they're capable of doing. But if it's necessary to blow up Cincinnati uh, or... New York and an atomic uh, weapon uh, just to make the case, uh, that'll be the end of any resistance to the new world order because people will be so frightened. And from their point of view, um, giving up Cincinnati or even, well, not New York, that's their prized town, but let's say uh, Detroit, where I come from, um, it would be well worth it. It would be a good investment. They might look at it, a, a good swap. We lose some real estate and some productivity, but in return, we get total uh, obedience, fearful obedience from everybody, and people like you and I will be pushed right out of the, uh, out of the, off the soapbox, so to speak. Nobody will dare to speak against uh, the system if we look at the system as our savior against atomic annihilation. So it's the same old game. It's scare and, uh, and then convince people that the solution to the threat is more government, less freedom, and higher taxes. And every time it ratches up like that, like the sawtooth. We have one crisis after another, whether it's a health crisis or a war crisis or a terrorist crisis, or you name it. And then they just go on and on and on. Um, now we're going to have probably a, a food crisis. And um, Maybe we'll even have civil unrest crisis returning and great, uh, great strength. All of these things are planned. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody involved is part of the conspiracy, not at all. But the conspirators or the Kabbalists, whatever you want to call them, do know how to push people's buttons and how to make them react exactly as they want them to do. And if they want them in the streets rioting, it can be arranged, you know. If, if they want people lined up to get their vaccines, um, even though they don't understand why, that can be arranged. Everything can be arranged as long as you control the flow of information and as they do. So um, having said all that, um, the threat of war as a result of the Ukraine situation is no doubt real, but I have, in my own personal view, I have this conviction that if it, it, if it ever comes to that, It'll be because they want it to, because it'll serve the purpose of, uh, of uh, fright and fear uh, to uh, ratchet toward their next major goal without 
any opposition or as little opposition as possible. Uh, I've always felt, since I figured out the, the main game, this fear game, years and years ago, uh, up until that time, I used to take everything at face value. And then suddenly I realized, wait a minute, this is just the fear game again in one form or another. Ever since then, uh, when it came to the atomic annihilation uh, game or scare, I never never took it quite as seriously because I, I realized that for the cabal, the threat of war is so valuable to them because it has so much fear factor. If you can convince people that there's going to be a war, oh, it's going to break out any minute, that's almost as good, almost as good as uh, having a real atomic uh, exchange of some kind and try and keep it under control. So uh, the fear of atomic war is a, is a, psych that's a psychological issue. The fear, of, psycholo uh, the fear of, of real nuclear war has more psychological value to our enemies than the actual war itself. Right. Yes, and I and I, I I often consider that there too because it's a. I mean, I don't even know what the what the uh, the motivation would be to try to rule over ashes if you want to capture the world for yourself. But then again, I want another thing that I always check myself on is you can only escalate force so much before. I mean, someone's at least got to get slapped. Someone's got to get pushed. I mean, there, there, there's got to be something, but. Who know? You, you said a few things there about triggering people, how to push people's buttons. And since I, I, I brought up a couple of current events uh, questions, I also wanted to take a little bit of a trip through time with you, if you, don't, if you don't mind, because you're a very fascinating figure. You've been around for a long, long time, and, and you've been doing such great work. And I, I wanted to know, what exactly was it for you? I know that your first book was, in, was published in 1964, and... I wanted to know what the true first catalyst, what pushed your buttons for the first time, what lit the fire for the first and last time, and you wanting to really go out there and be a researcher and an author and do this for life. Mm -hmm. Well, it was my first real red pill, and it was about 1960 or 61 that this all happened. Um, up until that time, I was in the corporate world. I was doing what most young people do they were i was all wrapped up in myself and my family i wanted to make a lot of money i wanted to have a good job i wanted to have a good house i wanted to be you know i wanted to be cool uh, i had no awareness of a community obligation or obligation to the nation to the culture uh to the world it's just all me 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 and then i came across a little pamphlet uh I think it was about a 32-page pamphlet, and it's, I think the title of it, as I recall, was The Truth About the United Nations. And of course, it was a critical review of the UN, how it was formed, who was, who was responsible for the creation of it, who, behind the scenes, what it has done in the name of peacekeeping, all of these things. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Uh, that's contrary to everything I know, because I went to school. And I came out of the university firmly committed to the idea that the United Nations was our last best hope for peace. So here was this, how dare this college professor uh, twist history and twist facts around like that. But he got to me. And so I started to do a little research on my own, which I'm glad I did. That's kind of out of character for me. 
But uh, I did, and I started to read stuff on the United Nations, mostly written by pro-UN people, because they're the ones who had the motive to write the books. They were getting, their books were getting published and circulated, and, and they could make, you know, they could get fame and fortune for writing a book. Those are the kind of books they'd buy for the school system, and you could read them as a student. But if anybody tried to write a critical book, like this college professor, he was stuck with a 32-page pamphlet and probably did that at his own expense. Yeah. So when I, got, when I got to the uh, library and I saw all these books, pro-UN books, I kind of expected that. But I began to notice that they were all written by people who were either on the payroll of the UN, they worked for it, or they had their income and their professional uh, status somehow connected to the United Nations. And that made me suspicious. And I had taken a course, as I recall, at school, may maybe one of the only real important courses I ever took, was on propaganda. And um, I remembered, you know, some of the rules of propaganda. And I could see those rules so clearly being followed in these books. So that's what my first little crack was. Mm. I became aware that the United Nations was not our last bet, best hope for peace. It was just the opposite. So that was my first red pill. Now, after that first crack, of course, that didn't change my life. It's just, oh, how about that? I was fooled. I didn't know that. But after that first little crack, I could begin to see other cracks. And those led to still deeper cracks and bigger cracks. And it uh, wasn't long after that that all of a sudden I discovered that I had a crusader gene. I never previously ever was a crusader on anything unless it involved me and the family and my personal interests. All of a sudden, I was really concerned about the future. Maybe it was because by that time I was a father and had a couple of little kids and a great wife to support, and I was thinking about their future. Whatever it was, it changed me. I quit my job in the corporation, became a real crusader, and my poor wife thought <laughs> I'd gone mad. She said, what are we going to... But how are we going to put groceries on the table? I said, I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure out a way. But uh, that's how it started. It was not a great bolt of lightning or anything. And um, in fact, I've learned many things since then, which were mar far more of a, a shock and a jolt than that one. Well, you know, like, for example, our, our current monetary shift that we're talking about, much bigger than that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, and and, and and trust me, and I'm sure you know, so many people in this audience probably own your books, and we have all seen so many of your documentaries. Um, I mean, you're 91 years old coming up this November. You have a frame of reference. Okay, so I'm, love, I'm glad that you brought up the whole idea of you holding a pamphlet in your hands. I actually own, I actually own, uh, I think, the entire set of the pamphlets, the newsletters that were sent out in the 1960s by Myron Fagan. Have you ever met Myron Fagan along the way? No, I never met him, but I, I've listened to his uh, speeches, mm. and I've read his pamphlets. Now, maybe not all of them, but quite a few of them. Oh, I tracked them down. I tracked all those pamphlets down. I found them after I heard his, uh, his speeches on the CFR and all that. But, uh, you know, on that, on the whole pamphlet idea, this is another perspective uh, point of view thing I want from you. You have a frame of reference so unique because you've been around from, or you've been involved in some way in so, in the truth movement from the time of, I mean, at least the, the modern, as we call it, truth movement from the time of its inception. 
Now, uh, these days, if someone catches a gust of inspiration or if they start seeing cracks in the wall, they can go and they could, uh, they want to get a message out. They can open up a rumble channel. They could launch a blog and with a little bit of quality and a little bit of consistency, they'll start seeing some traction somewhere. But could you, from, uh, you know, from your memory, could you talk about what it required in, say, 1967 or something to establish an audience willing to discuss controversial topics like the Kennedy assassination or the CFR? Talk about then and now to getting a message out there. That's an interesting question. I have to think about it for just a second. I can start easily by saying it was quite different. Uh, we had nothing like uh, the mass communications channels that we now have, even though the the largest of the current channels are now closed to us who have this opinion and this point of view of history. Nevertheless, we have the alternative channels which are much more fluid, much more extensive than anything we even dreamed about back in the 1960s. The closest we could come to it was uh, to publish pamphlets, which by the way were and still are, I believe, quite effective. Um, nevertheless, that was about all we could do except in my case, I had decided since I had taken communications in uh, school, that was my specialty, and I had worked when I got out of school as a, in the television industry and in production, a television station in Detroit. I decided, well, I knew a little bit about making documentary films. I'd studied it, never had done one. Maybe I could make films on these various topics. So that's what I did. That's the closest we came to the to the video and audio distribution was to get a 16 millimeter camera and a, a sound blimp so we could record the sound separately and another roll of uh, 16 millimeter magnetic tape and then edit the two together. It was a big, it was a big event mm. and took quite a bit of equipment and uh, some money, but it was still affordable for anybody that was really determined to do it. So that's how we started, by making 16-millimeter black-and-white films on these topics. And then, of course, we had to find people who wanted to buy the films and show them to their friends, which was the real hard part. The marketing was much more difficult than the creation. Yeah, see, that's, that's, I think maybe that's a little bit more of what I'm interested in, because I, I know that around the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you start getting a, a really nice crop of late-night talk radio people. Um, you, so there, there's, there's burgeoning markets uh, of voices that are out there in the dark on AM, FM that are, that are talking about this stuff. But where in the, those early days, are you going to VFWs? Are you going to, uh, you know, almost like... A, conventions and uh, that that is just something that sounds so alien but at the same time very endearing because you really had to work for every mind you changed back then it's a uh, it's it's a really interesting thing to think about well you described it pretty well yeah in addition to the the films in fact before the films what we had to do was just make ourselves available to to give speeches so um, I I looked up every club I could find, all the veterans of foreign wars, the DARs, the uh, anything, any organization, the Lions Club, and let them know I was available as a speaker on various topics. And it wasn't uh, difficult to uh, arrange presentations where I would be the, the speaker for the evening. Um, now, the audiences quite often were very small. I mean, it wouldn't be unusual for me to spend a whole day preparing 
and all evening to delivering uh, uh, maybe a, a one or 90 minutes, one hour or 90 minute presentation to 30 people in someone's living room. Mm. 60 people was considered to be a great success. And um, <laughs> so that's how we started. And I collected business cards from people everywhere I went and I wound up with a pretty good stack of business cards. So uh, these were people who were who wanted to help in some way, and they asked me how they could help, and I would have to tell them I wasn't sure. But thanks for the card. If I figure out some way to help, I'll let you know. Meanwhile, spread the word. And uh, so we were using pamphlets and 16-millimeter films. So I come back and make a mailing list out of those business cards, and every time we had a new pamphlet or a new 16-millimeter film, I would send out a mass mailing to all 852 people on my mailing list. And that's how we did it. Hmm. That's wonderful. I love hearing about those stories. And you know, speaking of those films, uh, for just for an example, and I think it's actually pretty prescient right now. I can probably turn this into a, uh, a current events question too, but your interviews with former KGB agent Yuri Bezmenov, they are practically canon at this point. All these years later, the, these are some these are interviews, these are presentations that are broken down into so many ways. They are red pill moments for so many people. Um, that in particular with Yuri and yourself, they're, they're, it's vital in understanding communism. It's vital in understanding what it actually is, political correctness, how they're all actual weapons. They're not, they're not um, uh, systems or ideologies that are meant to work. They're actually weapons to bring about a much more harsh end game. Uh, when in now in uh, modern day, when we talk about this so-called Great Reset, do you believe that the Great Reset is the end game, or is that just another phase? I think it's the end game. And so far as we are concerned, I'm sure that if they succeed in bring it a, bringing it about as they think they will, it'll take quite a while to uh, refine it and perfect it and strengthen it, but it'll work. Uh, in fact, it's already beginning to work uh, because of the fear factor and because of the people who are getting deeper and deeper into the into the welfare system so that they no longer can they no longer can break away from the control because they'll lose their their welfare they'll lose their retirement benefits they'll lose their job and so forth so yeah it's already working but um i think it's the um, it's the end game that they've been dreaming about yes yeah i i think so too and when you say great reset um and and you did a lot of work on on secret societies this great reset to me could also be called the great reveal because when it comes to the influence of certain societies or and organizations have on world affairs the we are seeing now whereas other other eras in american history these these organizations and these groups of people were a little bit more shadowy even though their influence was not questioned, like the CFR, the Trilateral Commission, anything like that, but the likes of the World Economic Forum, they have very, they have left very little room for imagination these days. They publish, they publish books with titles "The Great Reset," "The Great Narrative," which are all very naked love letters to global government, to transhumanism. Uh, the Davos summits—they are—they are—they don't mince words about what they're trying to do with global governance and trying to uh, whittle away national sovereignty because it's old and old-fashioned. Can you comment 
on how confidently public the plot you've exposed for decades has now become? Well, I think you've touched on the truth there. I said earlier, I think they've decided to go for broke. They've, they've taken the mask off for the most part. They're still pretending to be humanitarians, but uh, in their own publications, which are designed for mass consumption. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I found over the years was from their publications too, but they were publications that were designed just for the insiders. They weren't supposed to be read by people like you or me. Yeah. And uh, so, but now it's different. They, they want everybody to read these things and be convinced that they're on the side of uh, logic and uh, the side of history and, and uh, justice and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's why I think the primary reason I think they're going for the end game now. They're, they've taken the mask off. They've taken the, uh, the velvet gloves off, revealing the, the male fist underneath it. So they're going for broke. And um, I, I don't know what more to say about it than that, except that if they succeed, it's going to be very hard indeed to find our way back. I might add one little thing to it. They call it the Great Reset. And strangely enough, that is exactly what it is. It is a reset, but it's not a reset to what they're talking about. It's a reset to the Middle Ages, to reset to serfdom, to reset to a system whereby the very small elite, the uh, you know the ruling class, the uh, the royalty, they live in the big house, big castles. They own all the land, all the means of production, all the agriculture. They own the houses that people. Uh, are allowed to live in. They own the tools that they use. They own everything. And uh, you get to use only what you need to serve them. And yeah, that's what we're going back to with this great reset. The only difference I would have in describing it is say it's not so great. So it's the not so great reset yeah. back to serfdom. Now, for us to move truly forward, uh, I would not even call it uh, moving forward. I would, I would calling it moving... Um, forward by going backward. In other words, if we went back to, let's say, 30 or 40 years ago, that would be a step forward in terms of human evolution and the concept of freedom and liberty and personal dignity. But uh, we, in order to get forward, we have to reverse our the direction that we now are in, which is backward. Hmm. It's a, it's a great way of, of putting it there. Uh, it, it, it's, it's also part of the reason that reverse way of thinking, the inverted uh, reality to what progress and regression actually is is the reason why I always feel so icky when I think about liberal and conservative uh, people who consider themselves small government conservative. There's nothing to conserve the, the 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 world order that has taken control. They're trying to conserve the world that they have made. Um, you know, so there, there's that is just been flipped on its head as well. To go back is to go forward in many ways for us. I think it's wonderful. And just uh, one more follow up. On on that since those plans and the path forward have been laid bare by the great resetters and it's all been out there published for the public consumption what would you say since you've covered secret societies so so well over the years that you've been working on this what use what would you say are still the most closely guarded realities of secret societies today is it just the way that they initiate their members is it their rituals is it something else anything what, what would you say I would say that their most guarded asset, their most guarded secret, is that they exist and that they are powerful. 
they don't mind letting you know that the Council on Foreign Relations meets every year. They don't let they don't mind you knowing that the Trilateral Commission meets all the time. Uh, they don't they don't care, but they don't want you to know that they're ruling anything. They think you want they want you to just think it's a it's a group that comes together and discusses things and discusses plans and better ways to to do things. They don't see it as a menace to themselves and to their way of life. So that's the secret. They don't care that you know that they exist. It's just that you don't know what they do. Hmm. I think it was pretty revealing when um, uh, the book uh, Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley was released, and the big, thick, thousand-page history, basically the history of the of the cabal, the secret society, and it was formed by Cecil Rhodes, and uh, all of his money went into it, and it was, it's what made the the Rhodes Scholarship so powerful because it was a recruiting ground into probably as what is the world's most successful and powerful secret society. And uh, but interesting, the reason I bring it up because when Quigley wrote about it, he explained in his book that the organization had no name. That when when um, Cecil Rhodes created this organization, he decided that this group would not have a name so that it would be difficult to talk about it. That's how secret it was. They even declined to have a name. And, and Quigley himself didn't know what to call it. He called it the group uh, most often or, the, or the, uh, the association, things like that. Uh, so yeah, that's the secret, that they don't mind you knowing that they exist. They just don't want you to know that they're a secret society and that their interest is in ruling you. Mm. You know, um, you, you've always been, and it's just probably one of the, the last main questions I have for you tonight. I'd love to have you on again uh, sometime in the future. I, I'd love to get out to one of these Red Pill Expos, and I want to ask you about that next. Um, you've always been a man of great optimism, I would say. Uh, never watched any of your your lectures or your videos that, that did not uh, deliver a hard truth, but also balance it with proactive uh, notions, hope, all of that stuff. So um, I would have to uh, say I'm optimistic as well, too, because and for, for the same reasons that you did when you when you realized, hey, somebody's got to have to somebody's going to uh, to do something different. I've got children and you want to create a better world for your children. And on this show, we often uh, talk about the concept of the quickening, whereas the Great Reset is a frantic act of war on humanity as I see it. I believe it's only frantic because of a growing number of people who are becoming wise to the machinations of the ruling class and this, uh, you know, this, um, this group, this nameless group, as we were just talking about there. So if the old saying goes that it is always darkest before the dawn, how much darker do you think it is going to get and what kind of a world is going to wait for us at dawn? Well, that's a tough one, uh, Frank. Uh, how much darker? That's the hard one. I know it's going to get darker, but how much darker? Uh, I'm hesitant to give you my true opinion because uh, it's not, it's not going to be pretty. I think it's going to get a lot darker. And by that, I mean, I think that many of us are probably going to lose our liberty and possibly our lives in this struggle before we come out the other side. 
But that's happened over and over and over again in history. So it's not particularly unique. We just thought that, well, we wouldn't have to face anything like that because that was just for the old world. No, I think it's for the, the present world and probably for the future world as well. It's probably the way things work in societies and evolutions of cultures. But anyway, having said that, it's not as bad as you might think. I, I believe that instead of having to describe my attitude as either optimistic or pessimistic, I try to think of it as realistic. And so what I'm saying, I think, is the realistic point of view. And that is that as bad as it might be, in the long view of history, it's you and I have a chance because we live in change rapidly and everything is sort of up for grabs. This is a time quite rare in history when the few can make a huge difference. And we can, we can because of the of the arousal of the average person, suddenly they're not quite so interested in dancing with the stars as they are now about reading those little 32 or 34 page pamphlets and uh, becoming active in their communities and joining with others into coalitions that have political influence and all of that. Yeah, it's the Great Awakening uh, happening all around us. And so that, if you look at that side of this, of this equation, you, th you feel lucky to mm. be part of it because how many people are born into a system, they live their whole lives and nothing happens except, uh, you know, they go to work and they raise a family, that's good, you have fun, you have love, you have support. Uh, you learn things and then you die. But how many people can say, by golly, I'm, I'm going to make a difference in the world if I really want to. So I look at it that way. And even though I'm sure that I'm not going to see the sunshine like we all want it to shine in my lifetime, but I go to sleep every night with a big smile on my face because I think, well, today I put two bricks in place in the foundation. And I know that there are people like you and thousands of other people now out there doing the same thing. Today, we all of us together laid probably two or 3,000 bricks in the foundation of liberty for the future. And even though we don't see the full structure built in our lifetime, I go to sleep and think, ha, huh, I did my part. I can see it in my mind's eye. And uh, it makes me feel good. It makes a lot of us feel good. Uh, it really does, and and I I appreciate you sharing that with us tonight. I also would like to remind everybody that your work is nowhere near done. You started the Red Pill Expo, um, a series of talks with wonderful speakers. I looked at uh, a lot of the the speakers you've had over the last couple of years alone. Just really staggering, awesome names. Um, you have some expo dates coming up in November of this year, Salt Lake City, Utah. And for people who can't be there physically, they could also watch live on uh, on live stream as well. So how do people find all of the information for these expositions? Well, it's pretty easy. All you have to do is remember redpillexpo.org. Redpillexpo.org will take you to our website. And uh, I'm kind of proud of that website. I, I do that myself. And I had to learn how to program websites in order to do it. But I got kind of tired of every time I wanted to make a change or something needed troubleshooting. I got tired of calling the techies 
<laughs> like yeah. 11 o'clock at night and say, ah, this thing is not working. And they're, well, maybe I'll get to it tomorrow or so. No, I want to do it now. Midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Let's go. So I decided I had to learn how to do that. Anyway, that's a side issue. I just started to chuckle about it because uh, I, I feel good about our website. The main thing on the website is what it presents. It has two slogans at the top of it that explain everything. The top, the first one is uh, because you know something is wrong. Well, most people that we're trying to reach are what we might call truth seekers. They know that something is wrong, may not know what it is, but you can see it. The headlines are not working out right. These people are so stupid who are making decisions, they can't get it right. Or they're not so stupid. They're brilliant and they are getting it right, but they can't get they can't put the dots and pull it together. So because you know something is wrong, and then the second slogan finishes it off. It's uh, helping truth seekers discover how the world really works. Of course, the whole thing is based on that sci-fi movie meme that was created when they produced it back in 1999 called The Matrix. And the whole idea, as most of your viewers know, is that if you take the red pill, you get to see the reality of life. If you take the blue pill, it's your choice. You go back to sleep and you're living in some kind of a, a fantasy world and uh, you dream that you're having a real life, but you're not. It's all an illusion. So that's the meme and it kind of fits the real world in which we live today. And that's what the purpose of the Red Pill Expo is. All of our speakers are, are extremely well qualified people from their professions or their whatever they're talking about. Most of them have discovered something extremely important in their lives, like the monetary issue we're talking about, or the United Nations, or COVID-19, or terrorism, or the war in, in Ukraine, or something terribly important, and what, what the school systems are teaching their kids, or, you know, all, you go down the list, there's something wrong with all of these things, and they discovered that what they believed, and they were in those deeply in those movements, something that they believed to be true was false. And they were living in a, a world of, of uh, la-la land. They were living in a world of illusion. So they broke out of that and they took the red pill and they're coming to our event to get on stage and tell us what they learned from inside the beast, you might say. That's what it's all about. And that's what makes it so interesting. We're not just talking about one thing, all the whole, whole, uh, tableau of our life is is built on certain major belief systems and whether it's uh, our government or reality in any field our children even unfortunately in our in our religious institutions uh, there's so many illusions out there and uh, once the first crack breaks as mine did back in 1960 or 61 then you start looking around and say hmm Fooled me on that one. I wonder what else I know that isn't true. So that's, I've talked enough about it. Come to redpillexpo.org. Take a look at the speakers. You'll be impressed by them. Some of them you'll, you'll recognize are very high profile people in the national movement for liberty and truth. And uh, the rest of them that you may not have heard about, uh, you soon will because they 
they come from strong backgrounds. No, oh, I see. I've seen definitely a couple of familiar faces here. We're we're, uh, we're friends with Mickey Willis from the Plandemic series. He he's a, he's going to be a great speaker in himself. I see Robert Scott Bell and Sherry Jackson, the that from the I the formerly IRS. She's got a great story to tell. So this is and of course you. I mean, so I mean that's a. I, I have to imagine you're going to be the headliner there. But once again, for anybody who can't make it to Salt Lake City, they can they can uh, they can get themselves in on the live stream redpillexpo.com uh mr griffin dot org dot org dot org i'm going to put that in the uh i didn't have that in the the description of the episode too so i'll make sure that that is with all of the uh the information attached to this episode but mr griffin i uh i can't thank you enough for this uh wonderful honor tonight and uh a happy birthday if uh, again if uh you know if we don't speak before that but it would be an honor to have you back on in the future and i hope you enjoyed your stay with me well, I did enjoy it, and I love your questions, Frank. You, you obviously know your current history and your past history as well, so it's a delight. Thank you, and keep up the excellent work. Thank you, thank you, and I, and I'll I'll be in touch, and and uh, thank you for everything, and uh, all, all the best in all of your future endeavors. Okay, thanks again. Okay, and be bye well, bye everybody. G. Edward Griffin. That is how the story went down tonight on September 21st, 2022. I am going to take a really brief uh, break, do about 100 jumping jacks and 50 push-ups, and uh, we will be right back to take your calls and just bask in the glory of the rest of the evening. Okay? So, without further being said... We'll, we'll be right back. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret society, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Sola decreed it a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. But I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. Confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Yeah. 
now entering quite frankly 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 Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Quite frankly in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly. You going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. feeling i'm feeling all right that was a uh, i've been looking forward to that for years tried tried and now i can say it happened great to have him on and i hope we can do it again but he's a busy man a lot going on so let's get into your super chats and then we'll take some calls and um and see where else this night goes in the little bit of time we have left it is a wednesday so that means that it is going to be rabbit hole wednesdays on quite frankly.tv i wonder what the crew has lined up i don't know i have not gotten uh, anything any kind of a scouting report from them just yet but it's probably going to be good so quite frankly.tv should be a nice destination for you all when we wrap up here all right into the grab no into the super chats quite frankly superchat.com doesn't matter where you are you can send them on in quite frankly superchat.com and have it read on the air uh the butcher says best interview yet frank i can't wait for the rest of uh the rest of the masses to catch up to the franklies i'm glad you feel that way i'm glad you feel that way i uh it has always been something you know I was, I had like kind of smiled to myself. Well, I guess I was smiling the whole time. But I smiled to myself inwardly when, uh, when Mr. Griffin was talking about the legwork during the 60s, 70s, and whatnot, trying to get out there and, you know, do lectures to go to the VFWs, the Elks Lodges, the Lions Clubs, wherever it was, and collecting business cards along the way that was me and I still do it to a degree Um, whenever I go out I'm just taking business cards it was always follow every lead you've got follow every lead call every person back just just answer emails do whatever you can you just don't know until you know that all of your options have been exhausted and if you if you don't have an idea of what you can do with somebody but you just know that one day you want to do something with them you stay in touch until lightning strikes so i um that that kind of tenacious mindset that really resonated with me 
And I just love the whole idea of pamphlets. Those old musty pamphlets. I have the Myron Fagan pamphlets. They're just awesome. To know that, you know, you could have gotten those handed to you somewhere in a flea market somewhere. Resist the New World Order. Know the truth about the United Nations. That is damn cozy to me. That is cozy. I love that. So, um... I love hearing about the stories, you know, we'll sprinkle a little bit of, of current events in there, but that man is a time capsule for all the things that we are interested in and has done so much to contribute to where we are right now as far as people knowing what time of day it is. So I had to do the, the I couldn't wait. The most, the most exciting thing about tonight's show was going to be the retrospective, uh, going back into his, you know, the earlier parts of his career and turning points and the legwork, the pamphlets, moving out of the pamphlet era into the into the larger auditoriums and the, the, the overnight talk radio. And then finally, here we are in the digital age where um, it's it. It's it. Uh, the Stowe Sto Stube. Like, for example, Yuri Bezmanov. Those Yuri Bezmenov uh, interviews, I believe it was 1984 or something like that, when, when G. Edward Griffin is sitting down across from Yuri Bezmenov, this ex-KGB agent, and he's talking about the four cycles that a, uh, a targeted country goes through when they are being targeted psychologically and culturally for destruction, namely by Soviet uh, psyops and aided by all the people who are already inside of our government for decades at that point. But uh, still, to think about that, sitting down in the 1980s across from Yuri and getting all of this fantastic information out of him, there was nothing in the minds of anybody on that film set that was thinking about, this will be on YouTube one day, and this is going to wake up a 17-year-old girl who's curious about one thing or another in, in 2018. You know, it's just these little things you leave behind. And in that case, something very physical. You're talking about things that existed on 16 millimeter, like he said, or um, VHS at one point, pamphlets that are scanned into things or, or, or turned into blogs. That is just amazing to leave something physical behind. You never think that it was gonna, it's going to be on the internet somewhere. But um, how many people do you know send you, hey, you got to see this interview. The guy was a KGB agent. And all of a sudden, it's uh, Yuri Bezmenov. And, and, and very rarely do you, even, even see, do you even see G. Edward Griffin sitting across from him conducting the interview. Because it's been, that's been whittled down to the, the most electric parts over the last... 15, 20 years on the internet that uh, most people don't even know who's conducting the interview, but does it really matter? Does it really matter? It's it's making a difference, and I'm sure I'm sure Mr. Griffin appreciates that much. So I think the entire the entire endeavor is just so cool. Mass media, mass communication, I love it. Publishing, I love it. Okay, Stostube says happiest of birthdays to Anthony tonight and a little extra contribution for the show tonight just because thank you, Frank. Thank you, Chris Dawson, Sarah. I can't wait to have a drink and a cigar with you guys one day. 
Hello Kitty, says Frank, did you... Uh, did you know that the FBI set up physical office in Ukraine in 2016? Why? Also, money has been paid nonstop to Ukraine since 2001. Bush administration. It, because, because Ukraine, though the geographical area on the map, on the world map, is a, an ancient, culturally rich place where people have... You know, people, the natives of the area, they have family history that goes back hundreds of years, if not older. Their government is a deep state shell corporation. You know, to, to talk badly about what is going on with Ukraine and NATO and the United States and Russia is not to disparage people who are ethnically Ukrainian and, and their family history and their culture and their language and all that stuff. Um, you know, whatever goes on out there with the, among neighbors is their own business. And obviously there's history to be learned that might be useful for everybody to understand. But the government is a shell corporation. And so is ours. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so... Did I know? No, I didn't. Am I surprised? No, I'm not. Degenerate Dan says, number one, thanks for taking my super chat. Number two, how big is your Yoda? Number three, go fuck yourself. Uh, what, this Yoda over here that's peeking over the shoulder of JFK? That is just a eight inch, I don't know. It's one of the old 1980s puppets. I mentioned that I wanted to get a Yoda puppet for Aurora, and I was thinking, you know, about the... I was looking for that specific Yoda puppet that the guy that does um, the Puppet Yoda show used, because they're very rare. And I mentioned I was looking for that puppet. Next, The next week, I had three 1980 Yoda puppets show up. This one. Yeah, so this one still has hair. Other ones come without hair. <laughs> you know see that's it so it's uh, it's not that uh, not that big it's a good size good size uh, okay what else we have Sean Haig says do you remember the 21st night of so I should have opened up with uh, with uh, earth wind and fire you're right do you remember that was one of Skip's favorite bands too? Should have opened up with it. Man, I dropped the ball on that one. Okay, let's see here. Going over to Rumble, selling the farms is keeping it real. Frank Red Pill is a Red Pill the world. It's a great show tonight. It really was. Let's go over to those gold pills on quite frankly TV our Cogburn says Patriots all now the cookie fight begins Sean Joe Delona Kitty Woo boys Blanc says hope baby is feeling better she is feeling great she still has the 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 the, the phlegm in the throat so she every once in a while she has this phlegmy cough because she doesn't know how to get it out but other than that she's running all over the place she's bouncing she's d demanding everybody dance She's doing just fine. So I got to say, whatever the hell this was, uh, stuck around a little bit longer than COVID for her. 
So I don't I don't know what this one was, but uh, but yes, thank you for asking. Thank you everybody for asking. Cookie fight, come on, family says boys, and they have Sean Joe Robert Sarns Swickley. I've thought of going around leaving pamphlets in my community. Hey, look at old pamphlets. Look at how they're put together. Doesn't need to be long. Doesn't have to be even the thirty pages. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, no, I thought we. I thought that uh, it's a ground rule double for a judge. I thought that was going to be number sixty-one. Last night, oh, I'm cheating. Yes, I'm. I, I have the Yankee game on in front of me. I can I can do mul multiple things at one time. <laughs> you might wonder what the hell are you talking about. Um, last night was incredible. Got home, the Yankees were losing eight to four to the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates. And then in the bottom of the ninth, boom, number 60. And you know what I loved about this? I just love when people like Babe Ruth become relevant again, even just for a moment. That was such a titan in American history. We can go into the importance of Babe Ruth again. Maybe on Friday night I'll do a little something, a little cast off. But uh, the fact that Judge tied Babe Ruth last night and he uh, just won more for Roger Maris. You say, well, listen... Barry Bonds has 70. I don't care about Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa. 61 is still the benchmark. And when Judge hits 61 and 62, he'll be the only one to do it without taking massive amounts of Andro. So um, that's the way it goes. I love that he didn't even want to come out and do a curtain call last night because the Yankees were losing. He's just a, a good, I don't know, one, one, again, one of those good uh, role models. Okay, um, let's take some calls. What time is it? 827-914-595-6953. You let me know. Let me know what you thought about tonight's show. And then we'll take a quick break, come back, and I have some funny Space Force news over here. Space Force, they released their, uh, their theme song. It's called Semper Supra. And it is so bad. The official, the official song for the United States Space Force. It's comical. I actually, I actually no longer believe that Space Force is a real, is a serious endeavor. I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it's a serious endeavor. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Nine one four five nine five six nine five three, or you can jump into the Discord where I would glad you gladly take you in into the experience there. Let's take the first call. 404, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, Frank. Who's this? It's Heather. How are you? Heather, welcome to the show. I can't tell you how happy I am to hear from you tonight. <laughs> I can't believe I'm actually talking to you, Frank. Well, here I am. Oh, where, where are you? This is the first. Let me make sure that I, I, uh, I store you here. So, Heather, tell us a little bit about what is on your mind. Um, everything is on my mind. Um, but really, I just wanted to say how great of a job you do um, on your show, and I enjoy all the topics. And um, that's what you asked for. So that's why I called to good. say, awesome. Love the topics, and, um, you know, you do a good job. I miss you with Dilly, but, um, you know, on Thursdays. But, you know, he, his schedule changed and stuff. But I get it, because I live in Georgia with Dilly. I actually live super close to him so I understand and we have children so oh <laughs> yeah so do you 
Yes, no, I, uh, he, I, it, it is something because you know Dilly was, uh, he was a, he brought a certain type of fire uh, to yeah. to the show. So you know, there's sometimes I can just sit back and let him uh, incinerate himself, and, uh, right. and and then we just pick up the pieces afterwards. That was always yeah. very fun. But I, I get it. We'll, 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 one I day. The most thing, the thing I like about you, your your um, the historical piece pieces that you bring to us you know, things that I wasn't aware of, you know, and I love that, you know, like, you know, you relive a lot of historical moments and things like that. And, um, I really appreciate it. Well, Heather, I'm glad that you're having a good time and it sounds like you're having a good time for all the reasons I always hope people would. So I have you stored in here, call in more often, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Oh, I am. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. She has a pretty voice, doesn't she? Let's take another call. 631, you're on the air. Who dis? Frankster. How you been, brother? I'm doing all right. Who's this? You don't remember my voice. I feel I feel ashamed. I haven't called the show in so long. It's Moses. Oh, my God. What is it? A new, a new number? This is, yes, another new number. See, see, Frank, see. You won't believe what I'm, you won't believe what I'm calling you from. Okay, where? From the hospital, Brianna just had our fourth child. Congratulations! And, uh, when? 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 Yeah. Just today, or are you about to like, get? Like, like, like an hour and a half ago, bro. And you called me. And I called you, bro. That's how important you are. Morses, dude. I have it. You know, it's. I heard the. I, I obviously I heard the local accent. So I'm. I'm just waiting for confirmation here. But I know that I had stored at least two numbers of yours in the past. So I wasn't. I wasn't going to jump to conclusions. Either way, I hope this is the first call of many again. And four number four. What? what tell us the name of, of the latest arrival. Okay, so his name is Andre Amadeo. Amadeo is Italian for lover of God. Andre is after a cousin, uh, a cousin of mine that, that was uh, shot dead when he was uh, way too young, at 21. He was, he was uh, one of the very few role models I had that taken to me early. So uh, I named my son Andre after him, and his middle name is Amadeo. Andre Amadeo, that is beautiful, man. I am so happy for you and the wife. Uh, I'm just so happy for the whole family. And uh, what a great, what a great way to ring in the the now uh, burgeoning holiday season. You got you got uh, a nice nice uh, breath of fresh air in October. Then you got Thanksgiving, Christmas. You have plenty to be thankful for this year. Amen to that, brother. And listen, uh, that that was an amazing interview. Yeah, you, you killed it. Uh, the show just gets better and better. I've been a little bit, you know, crazy on my side, so, but I'm always listening, Frank. So I'm glad you're enjoying, man. And really, send my send my love to the to the wife. I hope you guys get home nice, safe, and sound, and enjoy yourself. It's a great. Frank said, uh, "Hello, and so much." <laughs> oh, you got it. You got it. I, I'm so it, it, right, joyous news. Thank you so much, you guys. I, I'll talk to you soon. All right, All right, be well. There you go. New li- new life coming in. New life coming in. That's all that matters. You see, we continue. 818, you're on the air. How are you feeling? All right. It's the first time I've ever gotten through on the phone. Wonderful. What's your name? <laughs> uh, Norm. Wait, wait, say that again. I go by Norm. Norm. Yeah. Oh. Okay, Norm. I well, got my Hank and Alien Surfer in the in the chat. 
Oh, okay. Hang ten. Oh, well, listen. That's that's a name I do know. Hang ten, alien surfer. I'm gonna put that next. To, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that next to Norm. So, hang ten. Uh, tell me a little bit about what's on your mind. I know you've been around for a while, so you probably got a lot to say. Yeah. Well, no, I like the interview tonight. It's kind of rem- did some of uh, like the old Art Bell interviews almost with the, mm. uh, you know, uh, with having a a guest that's been in the mix for so long. So that was uh, really great. It was surreal for me but, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, I wanted to uh, mention, um, I ran across this thread on Reddit a while back and I was trying to refine, I, I was trying to find it again um, because of the date coming up tomorrow, uh, or the, on Friday, 23rd. Um, and I, on Reddit a, a while back, I, I found a thread of all the, the movie disasters and TV shows where the date was September 23rd. And I didn't find it on Reddit, but I did find it on GLP that someone probably reposted recently. I don't normally go to GLP anymore, but for that, it was good. So, um, have you seen that? No. I, I was just wondering. No. Did you save? Did you save the URL? Could you send me the actual link to the thread? Uh, yeah, how, how, how would be the best way? No, the email. Sept- oh, let, me, let, me, let me just type it, September uh, 23 on, um, on GLP, so anything pops up. Uh, no. Doom, September 23, doom date in movies and TV. Is that it? Yes. Okay, here we go. Um, this is from GLP. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of Mike. My- Koliak is interested the, in this, like on Friday or something like that on the 23rd. So yeah. here is yeah. the here is the Koliak OP said events from TV series or movies with a date connection. Number one, TV Third Rock from the Sun. A meteor is scheduled to hit the planet on September of 2015. Uh, Big Bang Theory asteroid strikes September 23rd. Movie Volcano, September 23rd, next to the cross in the movie, an asteroid hits the Earth on September 23rd. Uh, The movie Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, asteroid strikes on September 22nd and 23rd, ends the world. Julia and Julia, September 23rd, meteor striking the Earth. Deep Impact, starring Morgan Freeman. He says the asteroid would strike September 22nd, lotto numbers are 923. Evan Almighty, starring Steve Car- uh, uh, Steve Carroll, or is that, is that Steve Carroll? The uh, date of the flood. Cor- yeah. Cor- yeah, it's, it's spelled Carroll in here. The date of the flood is September twenty second. There's a lot in here. Well, is this all you had for me, uh, yeah, Norm? Yeah. I'll read through this. I, well, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I didn't expect you to read through. On the, well, there's on more, the call, and it's but, interesting. You know, I, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, um, I just like want to know what you thought of that on maybe for Friday when when it, when it actually is the twenty third. But I want to get that to you before. Well, Friday, so. uh, I'll tell you this, and thanks for the call. <laughs> thanks for the call, Norm. I hope it's more. And now that yeah. I see your name, maybe I can I can catch you a little bit more. But thanks for the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I if we go live at seven o'clock on Friday and we're all here, then that'll be a very very positive event, positive development in uh, in things there's a lot here knowing the movie knowing september 23rd september 22nd little shop of horror september 23rd an event that will encounter a deadly threat to humans existence 
The movie 23, of course. September 23rd is the date that hell arrives. Sleepy Hollow, September 23rd, a new dimension is opened. I did not know. Oh, that's for TV. I remember uh, Sleepy Hollow, the movie. That's actually a pretty good film. Ghostbusters, the evil release, September 23rd. Hmm. There's a lot of September 23rd. Plane crashes. Damn. That is true. It's a it's a it's a big one. That's a big list. Is there a Simpsons episode in here? Because that'll be the kicker. Let me see. Movie Pandemic, movie Labyrinth, movie Lost, Castaways, Taco Bell commercial, Escaping Concentration Camp on nine two three. What? A Taco Bell commercial. A Guinness beer commercial. If you keep an eye, uh, an open mind, you'll discover dark secrets. Stop watch stops at nine two three. Who is compiling all that? Who compiled? See, who compiled this? Maybe it's true, but who the hell was the one that said? Oh, speaking of nine twenty three, and this Guinness beer commercial, a stopwatch stopped at nine twenty three. I have no clue. Let's take a call from Zoso, dude. What's going on, Zoso? How are you doing, my man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you feeling? Beautiful, man. Great, great freaking interview. Holy Hannah. He's like, he is the rock star of, uh, I, I loathe the word conspiracy theorist. I just loathe it. Hold up. Yeah. God, I, I found it, I found it really interesting where he shared that, uh, because of your prodding, how when he, you know, sunk his teeth into the, into the first, uh, bit of information that, that surprised it. I think it was the Federal Reserve, whatever it was he shared. How he said once, once he finds that there's that one truth, it makes him start thinking about others, and that's what led him to a career of, of opening people's eyes and sharing it. Dude, brilliant choice of questions tonight. I mean, God, it just fabulous interview. Loved it. I just had to share that, man. Loved. The interview. Love. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I gotta say, I love uh, I, I love doing it, and I'm glad that people are are enjoying. I can't wait to see the rest of the the uh, the all of the the feedback that comes in. And uh, since you're on the show right now, I should say I, I love. I will be wearing your new shirt that you sent me sometime this week, either tomorrow, Friday night. Uh, as soon as it showed up, uh, Lauren said, "Oh, another shirt I'm going to steal." So I'm telling you, she. <laughs> Make it's, it, a, it's a wonderful thing. I'm uh, I'm actually working on a nice little tie dye, uh, uh, little girl's uh, dress for Aurora, oh. which will be coming very shortly, hopefully before uh, it gets too damn cold. And uh, hey, well, I have this opportunity. Can I just, since almost everybody who watches my show came from your show, uh, I got kicked off of YouTube again. So for two weeks, folks, I won't be on YouTube. Another. Another content strike. What was it? Two-year-old bro. What did Isn't you say? Interesting. What did you say? <laughs> another day at YouTube. Okay. Frank. I got. You. Hey, oh, my. I'm not your buddy. Well, listen. When, when is the next time you're live? Because I know you're on D Live and you're on uh, Foxhole. When's the next time you're live? Let, let everybody know. It'll be tonight. Tonight and uh, typically I'd say it's Wednesday, Fridays, Sundays with a Saturday rock show, but. Uh, no YouTube for the next couple of weeks, but 
Thanks well, well, that just means that just means you can do things with a lot less worry. That's that's what I say. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I can play music and have some fun, and it's, it's great. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for everything, Zoso. Be well. Talk to you soon. Thanks a bunch. Take care. My strike that I got back in, I don't know when it was, June? I forget. The strike that I got back in June is set to expire on, I, I think, October 5th or something like that. So I'm almost strike-free. And that's when I'll get an immediate new one because we'll be coming up on the election and everybody's going to be super sensitive on YouTube and, and whatever. Just remember, if you're watching on YouTube right now, watch to your heart's delight, but um, get on to Rumble, get on to quitefrankly.tv. Just remember the protocol. Monday through Friday at 7 p.m., I am always on air unless I tell you weeks in advance I'm going to be missing this night. So uh, the free mailing list is on quitefrankly.tv. You can find it in multiple places, including the Sponsor Us and the About Us page and on the front page. Just throw your, your, thing, your uh, email in there in case there's ever an emergency so I let you know one thing or another happened. And that's where we go. That is where we go. All right. So we'll be right back. I'm going to take a quick break, a very quick one. And we come back, we go to your Super Chats again, and we end with... This ridiculous Space Force thing. You've got to listen to this. Don't go anywhere. BRB. I don't have to have What he's trying to say is Gabagool. The Gabagool. Bring in the Gabagool. You ready for this? Listen to this. Here's a headline from from New York Post, but it was all over the place. U.S. Space Force releases official song and it's swiftly mocked. They say this tune is less than stellar. The U.S. Space Force released an official song that critics say is light years from being a hit with illogical lyrics and corny tone that rips off Star Wars. The military branch created in 2019 to protect the U.S. and the great beyond unveiled the jaunty anthem titled Semper Supra, meaning always above in Latin. It's not a banger, the website military.com deadpanned. The song's lyrics... 
this the song's lyrics proclaim we're the mighty watchful eye guardians beyond the blue the invisible front line war fighters brave and true boldly reaching into space there's no limit to our sky standing guard both night and day we're the space force from on high it triumphantly concludes i would be absolutely embarrassed if i were a member of space force at this point uh, you know, the memes just flowed when when Trump announced the Space Force and we were wondering, okay, wh- wh- what is what is this? Um, I- I'm sure that it is a front for something that has been long established, ancient in many respects. But the what we've got as a superficial representation of a United States Space Force is cringe 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 listen to this uh listen to this semper supra Yeah, well, I mean, it is, that's something, isn't it? <laughs> uh, whoa! No. Was that the Coast Guard? Oh, please. I wonder if Mark Levin is going, you know how, uh, I don't know if you ever listened to Mark Levin's show. I used to listen to it a lot more uh, years ago. But uh, every once in a while, especially around all the patriotic holidays in the summertime, uh, at the end of the show, or sometimes the beginning of the show, he'll go through all the uh, the Marines and the plays all the anthems. Uh, is he really going to play the Space Force? Is he really going to do it? No, nah, I don't know. They better go back to the drawing board with that one. They should have called John Williams. Is what they should have done. He's an American hero. Listeners quickly poked fun at the song for its confusing lyrics and overly bubbly tune, calling it a cosmically uncool Star Wars ripoff. WTF is this. Might as well use Star Wars theme song. What a joke. Space Force, one observer tweeted. Another critic called the song's writer Jamie uh, Tichenor a total space cadet. How can the new Space Force be standing guard both night and day when there's no night or day in outer space? He wrote on Twitter. I guess that's the whole point. That there's no differentiation between the two in space, so they're always on guard. I mean, you don't have to be so obtuse. I mean, they're having enough problems as enough as it is. Uh, given Barron... Uh, Ke- sorry. Kevin Barron. You heard that uh, Barron Trump is 19 and a half feet tall? Kevin Barron, the military executive director for Defense One, slammed it as a grammatical black hole. 
These lyrics are the verbal word salad version of a bad Air Force painting, he wrote. Grammatically, I'm dying to edit. You're not the invisible front line. CIA is. Ugh. And warfighter is not a word. Because they made warfighter one word. W-A-R-F-I-G-H-T-E-R. They made their own word up. Another observer tweeted, Why did they go 1940s war music genre for a 21st century space-aged agency? Oh, well, I mean, hey, uh, you got to start somewhere, right? So they couldn't get John Philip Sousa. So they had to go somewhere else. That's what we have for you tonight. Um, one other thing that we'll save for tomorrow. Uh, one Harvard astronomer believes the asteroid... This asteroid is an alien ship. They're talking about Amuamua again. Amuamua, I believe. That was one of the most fun parts of 2017. It really was. That last, that last quarter of 2017 was really wonderful. Got married that year. Uh, it was the first year of the Trump presidency, so we were all still really curious as to just how much of a sledgehammer could be brought to everything and people getting arrested. We were still very curious and excited. And then it was our first Christmas. You don't have to worry about anything. There's three more years to go. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of crying, but whatever. And at Christmas time, there's all these UFO disclosures that are going on. Amuamua. And, um, which like accelerated that I will, we'll talk about that tomorrow, but Christmas, 2017, that was, that was a good one. I remember 2017 was a good one. All right. I'm going to release the scratching Here's over there on, go. shut up, Frank. I'm going to release the scratching on quitefrankly.tv. Get over to quitefrankly.tv. We're going to be launching our Wednesday night programming momentarily. I'm just going to make sure that I have not missed anything on quitefranklysuperchat.com. One more time around, Silky Johnson says, hey, Frank, great show as always. What a red pill moment that blew your, uh, uh, what's a red pill moment that blew your mind when you learned the truth? And have you found something to watch since Better Call Saul ended? What did you think of the, the, of the finale? Uh, I thought that the finale was fantastic. I thought the finale was absolutely fantastic. I think, um, everybody says, oh, that wasn't, in, that wasn't Saul. That wasn't Saul to, to give it all up that way and just, you know, turn himself in and, well, you know what? Everybody's got, as I said last night, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. And, uh, and, and who knows? Sometimes people just don't want to run anymore, but he did not surrender his brilliance throughout it all and even though he's a he's head the the king cheese in 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 prison everybody treats him like royalty in prison though all the people he helped out over the years but the fact that he he just let it all go after he whittled up if you don't have to watch the show then this is going to be Chinese to you but he was given a Life sentence plus like 190 years on top of it or something like that. And he got it all the way down to seven years at minimum security prison. And he was about to get his favorite ice cream delivered to him every week. That's how good he still was to the very end. But then he, he for his conscience and for, 
making amends and for the respect of the woman he loved, he just, no, I'm, 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 I'm just going to try to make things right in my life for the first time. I thought it was brilliant. And the actor, Rhea Seahorn, she, it, I, like as I said before, I don't care about awards, but she definitely deserves recognition just for the scene of her bawling, of it all coming out and bawling on the public transit bus. After everything that character, just wonderful, char- wonderful character development, wonderful characters, fantastic writing. We can go into that more some of the time, but um, since you asked... I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful show from start to finish. Hey, Frank, could also a red pill moment that blew my mind. I don't remember first red pill moments. I don't remember it. A lot of 9-11 truth. It was all coming at me in like one one fell swoop. And and I I was already into mysticism and theories, uh, prophecy. That was always something I was into. Lost, buried treasure. As I, I brought up the Merovingian kings and the bloodlines of Christ and all that, you know, all that stuff, the Crusades, that was always something that I left open to. I left open to being real, and actually just believed. So it never really shocked me as far as red pill moments. But I, I, if if I can deflect a little bit, when people say, well, here, give me something, or if somebody, how do I red pill somebody? The first thing I always say to do is you got to talk about government experimentation on unwitting populations. Medical experimentation on unwitting populations, prison populations, uh, just, just, you know, the civilians in places like San Francisco and whatever the hell it is. Um, or orphanages, all that stuff. You've got to look into that. You've got to because you've got to break your trust. You got to break your trust in what is otherwise presented as a benevolent, a benevolent uh, monstrosity government that has all of your best interests in mind. Look at what they're bringing us toward right now with the world. So that's what I say. That's what I say. Uh, American Girl says, Hi, Frank. You never cease to amaze me with your wonderful guests and fabulous, in-depth, well-researched questions. I wish I could give you something with many more zeros before the decimal. I will one day. Love from my fam to yours. God bless. American Girl, you have... Just thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful of you to to contribute with your thoughts and um, a little bit to the bottom line and... The time is something that is invaluable. The time given. Thank you for that. Thank you all. Um, And that's all I have for you. That's all I have for you tonight. So I invite you all over to quitefrankly.tv to enjoy the rest of the evening in the chat room with me and many other cool people. Monday night was great watching all of the the, um, naked gun films together. If you didn't know. Easy to guess what those were. Let me see if I have anything. Uh, no, that's all I have. All right. That's it. Get it quite frankly on TV. I'll see you tomorrow night. I am looking forward to it as I am every night. So thank you again, ladies and gents, and I will see you. I'll see you soon. I'll catch you on the flip side.
quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now our super chatters, starting with Silky Johnson, American Girl, The Butcher, Stostube, Hello Kitty, Degenerate Dan, Sean Haig. You guys and gals have been good to me. Thank you, and I'll see you again in just a few hours. Enjoy the rest of your evenings on QuiteFrankly.tv. Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? I thought not. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. It's a Sith legend. Darth Plagueis was a dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise he could use the Force to influence the midichlorians to create life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side that he could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. He became so powerful. The only thing he was afraid of was losing his power, which eventually, of course, he did. Unfortunately, he taught his apprentice everything he knew, then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. Ironic, he could save others from death, but not himself. Will you shut up? Ow.